Good evening, church. I hope you've had a glorious, great day. Probably one of the last 80 degree days of the year, today and tomorrow, so you better get out and enjoy them. So tonight I'm going to talk to you and preach to myself. Is that okay? I'm going to talk to you and preach to myself. Uh, I felt led to um, share with you tonight something that I struggle with. Trust. Trusting people. Trusting even in God sometimes. And you see, I came by it honestly. I was taught probably one of the most influential things about trust in my life the summer between my third and fourth grade year in school. We'd moved recently to a new home out on a farm of 360 acres, and I had the privilege to grow up on a farm of that magnitude and got to see a lot of things uh, and enjoy the farming life. And I'm grateful for that. But my father wasn't a farmer. He worked in the aviation industry. He went to the Army and the Navy. Some of you know my father. He's here, been here for about 10 years now. But he, was, he learned electronics um, in the Army. And so he became a television repairman on the side. And does anybody here remember tube-type televisions, you know, that had the chassis in it with the, the tubes, you know, that you'd turn on and it would take, you know, it seemed like five or ten minutes to warm up before the screen would warm up, you know, and come in. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? So Dad would be a television repairman, but then he also became kind of a hoarder of televisions. And so he would use those extra parts to repair other people's televisions. So if he had a few, you know, he'd take those tubes out of those other televisions and he'd store it over there. And so once in a while, we, it would be time on a Saturday to go to the county dump to take all this stuff out. And so my brother and I were instructed to take this bed sheet that had three or four big picture tubes. You remember the big picture tubes? And they, they would sit in there and we'd put it on this blanket and we were supposed to take it out there into the dump. So what's, I, I think it seemed like 100 yards to us at the time over there on the hill, but it was probably only 20 yards at that time. But so my brother and I, we get the, the, the tubes were on top of the stuff, and so we were carrying it out there. And meanwhile, Dad had about 20 empty chassis that didn't have any tubes left in them, and he was going to get rid of those if we'd take care of those things. So Buck and I take off, and we're, my brother's name was Buck. That wasn't a nickname. His name was Buck. And so we would carry it out there. And so we had just got down there and, and was setting the tubes down and was moving the tubes away so we could bring the bed sheet back. And my father was just busy about the business because there was lines of cars waiting to dump there. So have y'all ever been to the dump? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Cars are waiting, you feel the pressure. So you're trying to get rid of your trash so that the other people can get rid of their trash. Y'all understand what's going on here. So dad is just taking these chassis and throwing them out. Taking them, throwing them out. Well, he forgot that he sent his two boys out there into the minefield. And so he takes one and just slings it out, and I'm turning around, and comes the chassis, and it hits my face. And so I am bleeding on my forehead and in my nose and in my mouth. And I feel this warm rush of blood on my face. Y'all been there? Now, in the demographics where I grew up, it was pretty flat. There was one race. There was one income. Uh, I had never in my t lifetime at that point ever spoken to anybody different than me. They looked different than me. Other, they were just maybe older or younger, but that was all the difference. So when this chassis lands in my face, 
And I'm bleeding everywhere, and I think I'm dying, of course. And this black gentleman, the first black gentleman that I ever had a conversation with or had any interaction with comes running over to me, and he had a hanky in his back pocket. Now, Dad didn't ever carry a hanky, and I always watch these people, what they did with hankies. Do you all watch what people do with hankies? Well, he grabs this hanky, black guy does, and starts wiping my face off with it. And he said a prayer over me. And I didn't know what to do. One, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't go to church. But there's this black man praying over me and trying to take care of me. And my dad runs up and he feels horrible. What father wouldn't? He feels horrible. And we get bandaged up the best we can and I've got a snotty hanky wiped all over me and I'm in the truck and dad looks over at me and he says, son, let that be a lesson to you. Don't let anybody, don't trust anybody, not even your daddy. And so for years, I went through this notion that you can't trust anybody, not even your daddy. And to some degree, that's true. To some degree, that's true. But in around 1977, I heard Randy Drake, the first pastor I ever was under, said something about being able to trust your heavenly father. And that was new to me. And so what I'm going to share with you tonight are the benefits of trusting in God and him alone. Even though all of us have tried to trust in other ways, I want you all to dig into your billfold real quick. Now you're First Baptist members, so you got money. Get in your billfold real quick. Now if you're cheap, if you're a cheap Baptist, get in your front pocket and you grab a coin. Okay? I've got a one and a two fives. I thought I had a 20. Honey, did you get my 20? Oh, there it is. Sorry, honey. Okay, so what do you see on our currency? On the back side of every bill that I saw in my billfold today, it says, in God we trust. It doesn't say, in this we trust, does it? It says, in God we trust. And that hasn't been on there very long, actually. But so many of us trust in this more than we do God. We trust our pocketbooks more than we do God. But I am thankful that we live in a country where our currency says, in God we trust, even on the penny. Even on the penny. Don't trust in money. Trust in God. But the hardest part of trust, I believe, is trusting in God's timing. It's not trusting in God, but it's trusting in his timing. And I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're going to look at just a little bit of what Solomon, the greatest human being that ever lived on earth besides Jesus, the smartest, most intelligent, the most financially blessed human being was Solomon. And here's what he said. <clears throat> and I'm preaching the Wednesday night crowd. You all have looked at this, but I want you to break it down, take it slower and see what God would have fresh for you tonight as we look at this. Solomon writes, there is a time. There is a time for everything. 
And there's a season for every activity under heaven. Now, the following goes here is a pretty good list, but it's not an exhaustive list of a time for all. It doesn't mean that there's a time for just these things. Because he says in the beginning, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Now, I'm not saying there's a time to sin. I'm not saying there's a time to do sinful things. I'm saying that there's a time that God allows us to do everything that is good and proper. There's a time for everything. And there is also a time that other people do sinful things. Yes, there's a time for that as well. But for us, there's a time for us and there's a time for every activity under heaven that we can experience. There's a time to be born, time to die, time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. There's a lot of stuff going on here. There's a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain. A time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. Any hoarders in here? Are there any hoarders in here? Nobody wants to raise their hand. There's a time to throw things away. A time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. All those things we know. But here is where it gets interesting. What's the worker? How many of you went to work today? How many of you worked at something today? Okay, how many of you worked, in the, how many of you worked today on something? Okay. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on them. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Right now, you may be in an ugly mess. I'm in an ugly mess. I'll just be honest with you. I'm in a mess. And I'm having a hard time trusting God in some things right now. I just don't understand what to do right now. But he's made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You want to know why you take care of things and want it to last? I know some Hayes brothers out there that have some beautiful trucks that have been in the 70s and 80s, right? Am I, am I right? They look like they've been off the showroom floor. I'm a little jealous of them. I'll just be honest with you. I, even though they are Chevys and I'm a Ford man, I can still appreciate machinery. But we want things to last, don't we? We want our relationships to last. We want our lives to last. We want the things that we treasure to last. And that's the evidence of this verse. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. We don't want to go to hell. And we all, those of you that follow Jesus long enough, you will live forever. It's just a question of where. You will live forever. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. But here is some advice about trusting God in your circumstances and your daily life. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. 
This is the gift of God. I'll read that again. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Skip to verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work. Because this is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? I don't know if you enjoy your job or not. It may be because you're not content. It may be because you're not where you're supposed to be. But if that's all God's provided, then make the best of it. Enjoy your work because this is your lot. It's a gift of God whether you like it or not. And I've learned as I've traveled all over the world since 2015, I've went over to, to several places, and people that live on welfare and food stamps in this country live like kings to the rest of the world. They live like kings. God's blessed us in so many ways. So tonight we're going to talk about trust, and the hardest part is, is trusting his timing. But there's a reward for waiting it may not be time yet for what you desire and what you tr are trusting him for. It, there may, it may not be time yet, but there's a reward for waiting on God, and it's in Isaiah chapter 40. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. We'll look at verses 25 through 31. And in this passage, the prophet Isaiah describes the greatness of God and the four benefits given to those who wait on him. I want you to see that if you'll wait on the Lord, there are four distinct benefits that will happen to you. Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Anybody watch the meteor shower last night? After midnight? Anybody stay up after midnight? 20 shooting stars. Uh, between a minute and between between a minute and and sixty minutes, there was supposedly an average of twenty shooting stars last night. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these things? He who brings out of the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name, because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And if one star falls, that has a name to it, and he knows that it's going to fall. So verse 27, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those, here's the four. But those who, what does your Bible say? But those who what? Okay, you're going to find three different words here in the different translations that you have. In the Holman Christian Standard Bible, that's what the Southern Baptists put out, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. If you do a little word search there, you'll stand for Hardcore Southern Baptist. Holman Christian Standard Bible. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says trust. 
if you have a New Living Translation, if you have a New International Version, it says hope. So we have trust and hope. If you are looking at a New Living Translation, a New King James, or a King James, or a Living Bible, or an English Standard Bible, or a New American Standard Bible, the word is wait. Now you can use any of those three words you want to for those who hope in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, or those who wait upon the Lord are gonna have four benefits. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. Have you ever been so exhausted that you couldn't go anymore? Do you remember football practice? Do you remember hauling hay in the middle of the summer? Do you remember running and track so exhausted? But those who trust or hope or wait in the Lord will renew their strength. Number two, they'll soar on wings like eagles. I had an amazing gift from the Lord today as I studied this. I broke for lunch. I took the long way to go have lunch with my wife. I broke through the neighborhood right over here just to the, to the west of us here off of 70 and broke north and kind of went through the housing development, went up to Jones Creek and kind of rode Jones Creek over back into to downtown. And as I popped over the hill on Jones Creek, I saw an eagle with its white feathers on the back and its white head. And it was up there soaring. And I, I love flight. I spent 12 and a half years at Beach Aircraft Corporation. I love flight. And I, I, I would love to be a bird. I just love watching vultures. They, they just absolutely amaze me. Now, when they, what they do on the ground is pretty sickening, but I understand it's part of God's plan. It's really pretty gross, it's pretty sickening. But to watch them soar on the heights and to catch the updrafts and wait, and their eyes must be amazing to be able to see something that's about to die or something that's still. It's all part of God's plan. But I didn't see a buzzard. I didn't see a vulture today. I saw an eagle. And he, and he put action to this word today. But those who wait on the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It may not be time yet, guys, gals, ladies, gentlemen, it just may not be time yet for you. But Solomon says that he's made everything beautiful in its time. Do you trust that? So there's three characteristics that characterize a life of a person trusting God. Three characteristics in the life of a person that trusts God. The first one is, a person trusting God redeems the time. I forgot it, it's on my desk. Years ago, someone left me a little rock. And on the, inscribed in the rock, and it sits on my desk, it says, seize the day. And I've kept that on my off, in my office. I know it's from a Latin phrase, carpe diem. I'm, I'm not a, does that sound right? Am I, am I close? Carpe diem. How do you say that? Thank you. Okay. Which means make the most of the moment. It also means don't worry or dwell on the future. 
Make the most of the moment. Don't worry or dwell on the future. A person trusting God redeems the time. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5 real quickly. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus some very good advice about timing and redeeming the time. The church at Ephesus had its problems. And we know that Timothy was left by Paul to straighten out and encourage uh, and, and take away the false doctrine that was being brought up in the church at Ephesus. But before Paul left the church in Ephesus, he, he, he writes to them and says, and, and, comes, and, he, and he was always very quick to check on them and see how they were doing. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, he says, be very careful then how you live. He didn't say, be cautious, watch how you live. He said, be very careful. Now, when you tell your children or when you're, when you see someone that's, that's, that's going down a wrong road and you say to them, be very careful, you're saying it better than you can say it. It's the best you can say. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do you believe that the days are evil? Do you believe that the days are evil? Jesus tried to tell us in John 10, 10, he said, the thief comes only. The thief's only job, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's all he's about. The days are evil. The thief is coming into this world to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Watch the news. Do you see people stealing? Do you see people getting stealed from? I know that's a wrong word. I'm just, you know, they're getting stole. Well, I don't know how to say it, but okay, how do I say it? Okay, they are being robbed. Thank you. The, the thief comes only to steal, to kill. Anybody being killed? Anybody being killed in the United States of America? Is any lives being destroyed? Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We get so caught up in the United States of America with our calendar. We have our calendar on our watch. We have our calendar on our phone. We have our calendar in our, on our desk. We have a calendar on a refrigerator. We make the most of every opportunity, don't we? Except spending time with God. We make the most of every opportunity financially. We'll work two to three jobs to pay for something that we want. But that's not making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. So a person trusting God redeems the time. And they're also patient and obedient. Through every circumstance. They're patient and obedient through every circumstance. Well, when I was uh, seven years of age, I saw the most amazing scientific accomplishment that I believe I've ever seen since. 
Do you know what happened in July of 1969? Do you remember? Yeah, but what happened before that? They blasted off. I was at Allen Elementary School, and there's this Saturn V rocket standing there, and everyone, all the kids in the classrooms from every, every grade in elementary school all came to this center hallway, and we had two televisions back to back, black and white, tube-type TVs. I know I'm showing my age, but that's okay. And we were circled around with all the teachers and the faculty, and we all watched the Apollo 11 launch. It was an amazing day. The country came together. It was an amazing time. Now, three days later comes the separation, and the, here's the lunar module and the eagle and all those things, you know, and all of a sudden there's the landing on the moon. But sometimes you got to be just patient and obedient and stick to the plan. Do you know that Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong went in the lunar module and when they landed, do you remember what their place that they landed was called? Tranquility Base. And when that thing landed, what was it that they said? Do you remember? When, they did, when, they, when the lunar module was up there at the top, and then I can't remember what they called the, the, there was a command module, and it was a lunar module. Okay. When it landed, what was it that we heard over the television? <laughs> Tranquility Base here. The eagle has landed. Well, let me read to you a little story here about Tranquility Base. In 1969, the eagle landed on the moon and set up Tranquility Base. It was an ironic name for such a dangerous and daring mission. Neil Armstrong landed the spacecraft on the moon with just 11 seconds left of fuel. Now, Pastor Mike and I have rode motorcycles together. Michelle knows where I'm going with this story now. I had a bike with 7.8 gallons of gas. That's how many I could put in my, and so I got 50 miles a gallon, so I could go 400 miles. Mike was on this Harley that if he got over 100 miles, he started getting a little upset. And so his little sign was every time he'd pull up with me and he'd look at me, he goes, I need gas. I need gas. I said, oh, yeah, no problem. So we pull over, and he'd get gas, and he says, aren't you going to get gas? I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. We'd go another 100 miles. I need gas. So, all right, we'll pull in. We guess, and he said, aren't you going to buy gas? No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> we go another 100 miles. I need gas. I said, okay. Aren't you going to get gas? No, nah, I'm good. I can make it home. What is wrong with you? You gotta get gas. He didn't understand I had an eight gallon gas. But I was, I was fine with this. But I can't imagine being that many thousand miles away from home. And I've got this plan that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to land this thing on the moon and I'm looking at the gas gauge and I guarantee you I'd be worse than Mike Miller with 11 seconds left of fuel to pick and hit this place on the moon. It was an, guys, I, I, I can't imagine. They did this with less computer power than what's in our phones today. The computer's in your car. They landed on the moon. It's an amazing thing. So we land with just 11 seconds of fuel left and did it with less computer power than we have today. NASA seemed to be communicating a biblical principle. You can have peace in the midst of the turmoil, but it's not only on the moon. 
The same can be said on earth as well. Oceanographers say the sea remains tranquil below 25 feet. No matter how bad the storm rages on top of the ocean, hurricane, whatever, the waters are peaceful down deep. The Christian finds peace in the same place, down deep. Shallow faith will leave you anxious and fearful when the storms rise. But a deep and stable faith will provide tranquility in the midst of severe and threatening storms. So a person needs to redeem the time, be patient and obedient, and stick to the plan through whatever circumstances you go through. Not only that, we need to view sometimes our circumstances differently than we do. We need to view any season of singleness as a gift from God. I look around and I see widows in here. I don't see a widower here tonight. But I want to challenge you with this. View any season of singleness as a gift from God. It's a unique opportunity to serve him. Let me explain. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. We'll just stop there. How many of you want to be free from concern? Okay, I do. Does anybody else in here want to be free from concern? Thank you. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, I want you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of his world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, and her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And verse 35 is pretty hard. I'm saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to be married here. I'm not saying that it's bad to take, that, that you're distracted taking care of your wife or your husband. That's not what I'm saying. What I am trying to say is when God's circumstances come into your life where you have a period of singleness, you can either choose to be bitter or get better. View any time of singleness as a unique gift from God to draw closer to him. Oswald Chambers talks about the trial of faith. Would you go to the next slide for me, please? He wrote that faith by its very nature must be tested and tried. And the real trial of faith is not that we find it difficult to trust God, but that God's character might be proven as trustworthy in our own minds. Faith being worked out into reality must experience times of unbroken isolation. Look at that again. 
Faith being worked out into reality must experience times of unbroken isolation. Never confuse the trial of faith with the ordinary discipline of life because a great deal of what we call the trial of faith is the inevitable, resu inevitable result of just being alive. Next. Faith, as the Bible teaches it, is faith in God coming against everything that contradicts him. A faith that says, I will remain true to God's character, whatever he may do. And the highest and greatest expression of faith in the whole Bible is from Job. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. So, a person who trusts in God redeems the time, is patient and obedient in all situations, and looks at a time of singleness as a unique gift from God, not a judgment or not a taking away. Secondly, a person trusting God is content in all circumstances. Philippians 4.13 is probably a memory verse of yours. Who can quote to me Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think it's so important, and I have that memorized, but I try to remember it in context. Because what he says here, it taken in context, is so powerful. Let's look at what he says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that as last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Have you learned to be content whatever the circumstance? Have I learned to be content whatever the circumstance? Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I really don't know if America knows what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in need. If there's anything we need is Jesus in America. That's really, that's really where the lack is in, today's, in, in, in the United States today. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And with that, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then he says later on in verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs because of what he knows, because of him reaching this contentment in this stage of his life, going through all of his experience, he can say to us in verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. A person trusting God is content in all circumstances. The next slide, please. I need to help us all understand something here today. Complaining is a sin. Any complainers in here? Is anybody in here complain much? Uh, okay. Complaining is a sin. You cannot, I want you to write this down tonight. Write it on your checkbook. Write it on a piece of paper. This, this is good. Okay. This is good. I got this today from God. Wasn't me. You cannot complain and be thankful at the same time. You cannot complain and be thankful 
at the same time. You cannot leave this parking lot and get on Highway 70 and go left and reach Memphis. You cannot go right on Highway 70 and reach Nashville. You can't go right and go left at the same time. The same thing goes with complaining and being thankful. You cannot complain and be thankful at the same time. It's two different roads. Contentment is not the result of what you want. If I can just get this truck, I'll be content. If I can just get this new three-quarter ton diesel truck, I will be content. Contentment is not the result of what you want. It's the realization of what you have. Contentment, see, contentment is a state of mind, not a destination. We're destination oriented. We've got flights down to the minute and, and, and we've got everything down to the minutia of, of effective efficiency. We are destination people. We want to get there and that's where we're going and we're going to get there. And when we get there, the fastest, easiest way. Contentment is a state of mind. It is not a destination. So the third thing, first of all, people who trust God redeem the time doing 721. I still, I'm good. I'm good. A person who trusts God redeems the time, is content in all circumstances, and thirdly, a person trusting God makes him the source and hope and refuge. Now, we got to break that down. A person trusting God makes him the source of hope and refuge. Psalm 91, 2. Turn in your Bibles because you're going to want to underline this. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Yes, I don't trust my father to always give me the right answer and to always tell me the truth. And to, but you know what? I'm looking at my dad who's 82 now, and I really firmly believe he tried the best he could to teach me as much as I could. And I learned a lot from my father. And I have volumes still to learn from my Heavenly Father. A person trusting God will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. A person trusting God does not mistakenly place their trust in His protection. I don't know how many times I've heard and prayed for traveling mercies for people prayed as we go on mission trips that we'll be safe. We're safety conscious people. We put helmets on. How did we survive years ago without car seats, helmets? You know, we drank out of a water hose. We didn't drink out of a bottle of water. I don't know how we did it, but we are so safety conscious people now. A person trusting God does not mistakenly place their trust in his protection, but in him. Let me read to you this. While serving as a missionary for the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, Lynette Thompson provided an insightful tr 
truth about trust. Because Africa is not a safe environment, she was regularly approached by people who said, in order for you to go to West Africa, I guess you just have to trust in God's protection. Here's her response. Her response was shocking, but biblically true. She answered the question by stating, I can show you a grave of a 15-year-old missionary's child who died of hepatitis a four-year-old who died of malaria. If my trust were in God's protection, my trust would crumble under these circumstances. My trust is in God, in the belief that he is in control and that whatever happens will happen for his glory. We can mistakenly place our trust in God's protection rather than God himself. The results of such misplaced trust will ultimately lead to spiritual disillusionment. And I'm afraid in America we are spiritually disillusioned and we won't take a risk for God. Oh, we'll take a risk financially in the stock market. We'll take a risk to take on another job to hopefully be promoted to this area faster than we will somewhere else. We'll, do all, we'll take all these risks, but what, to do it for God? I'm not so sure. Psalm 27 is a verse that you need to memorize. Psalm 27. Look it up in your Bible. Some trust in what? Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in what? Horses. Some trust in chariots. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. You want to see amazing things happen in Dixon? You want to see amazing things happen in this church? When we stop trusting as others do in, chor in chariots or material wealth or strength. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So we finish with this today. Do I dare to hold the Father's hand not knowing where it's, this path will end? Believing he can truly see all, through all this haze that's blinding me? Will I really trust the words he said, though they seem unreal when I look ahead? And will I let him see me free from the folly of trying to trust in me? See, I've learned that, yeah, I can't trust my dad for everything. But I've also learned that I can't trust me. I have to trust him. So you have three options tonight, church. You can trust in others and be disappointed. You can trust in yourself and be depressed. Or you can trust in God and be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing me tonight of the times when I've lacked the faith to trust you. And Lord, you made beautiful everything in its time. Lord, my work, I'm so thankful for. And I'm thankful for everyone's work here. Father, help us to understand that that's our lot and that's our gift. Help us to trust you in our homes, in our businesses, in our work, in our neighborhoods. Help us to trust you as we take the gospel to the places that you provide or show us that where we're supposed to go.
Father, thank you for the people who lead out in this church and show us a great measure of faith. May we follow in their footsteps. And Father, as we walk out tonight, realizing that there's people coming behind us that we must teach. Father, use this for your glory. Use this Bible study for edification of the saints. In Jesus' holy name, I pray these things. Amen. Say hi to somebody on your way out and have a great week and we'll see you Sunday.